This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. The bastardization of blackness in America by the American left. Welcome to the program. You know, when you're a black conservative in America, you get your special classification, so to speak. Let me give you an example. Sarah Palin is not a female conservative. She's just a conservative. Rush Limbaugh isn't a male or a white conservative. He's just a conservative. But Clarence Thomas, United States Supreme Court Justice, is a black conservative. Thomas Sowell, the brilliant mind, brilliant scholar who writes for the Hoover Institute at Stanford University. He's a black conservative writer. David Clark is a black conservative sheriff. Alan West is a black conservative. The American left would want you to believe that being a black conservative should earn you a place in Ripley's Believe It or Not, that a black conservative would actually even exist. I recently wrote an op-ed. I haven't published this yet. I am going to get it out, but you're going to hear it first here. I'm going to read it to you. And it's why I titled it The Bastardization of Blackness in America by the American Left. So here it goes. Most people assume that the ideology of a black American conservative is like any other conservative. We believe in limited government and low taxes. Through a restrained federal bureaucracy, we believe that the Constitution protects individuals, not groups. That a strong national defense and safe streets are critical to liberty, freedom, and an orderly society. And we believe in states' rights. That, however, is where these similarities end. To be a black conservative in America is to be bastardized personally and politically by the American left. Your political and personal associations become equated with your cultural identity. Liberal elites and civil rights imitators still fighting the battles of the 60s with old school appeal for groupthink demonize black conservatives with labels like abnormal and traitors to the race for not walking lockstep with racist black liberal dogma. We're called sellouts, Uncle Toms, and other unprintable names, and are told we're doing nothing more than trying to gain acceptance from white conservatives. Never will you hear complimentary references such as, well, he's an independent thinker, or he has a unique ability to form a position and incoherently and intellectually lead you to an understanding of how he came to that conclusion. Instead, to be a black conservative is to have your membership in the larger black community revoked by phony self-serving plantation gatekeeping blacks who are used as surrogates and then given license to attack by white liberals. They go after those who they see as runaway slaves and they capture them through a smear campaign about their lack of allegiance to an extreme, inane, monolithic, liberal ideology. They metaphorically lynch us through character assassination. Which other ethnic group endures this politically in America? None do. The only membership card that has any value to me is the one that guarantees me all the rights and privileges afforded by the United States Constitution as a citizen of the United States. No one can revoke that membership as these rights are inalienable. 
The truth is that these race hucksters have ruined more black minds with their support for a culture of dependency than crack cocaine has. They have convinced too many blacks that the only power they have is as perpetual and eternal victims and have made careers out of creating and prolonging turmoil between blacks and whites. They are doing nothing more than keeping blacks enslaved and away from self-sufficiency, self-reliance, self-actualization, and self-discipline. The separatist movement espoused by black radical groups like the New Black Panther Party needs to be reframed from a message not of separation from mainstream America, but separation from the Democratic Party. The destructive liberal ideology of Democrats has destroyed the black family structure, destroyed black motivation, destroyed the once strong black work ethic, and estranged black men from involvement in their children's lives. The destructive nature of liberal Democrat government policies was predicted in the mid-1960s, not by a neoconservative white male, but by Daniel Patrick Moynihan and his detailed report on the destructive impact of liberal government policies on the Negro family. This Democrat predicted the pathologies within the black family and community that we are witnessing today. 70% of black children growing up without dads in the home. In 1960, it was was 25%, which was still too high then. We see school failure, high black unemployment, and obscene rates of poverty and criminal involvement. This can all be traced to how liberal policies metaphorically have the same effect as genocide on black America and it continues today. How can a political party that claims to be the savior of the black community continue to keep them chained to the plantation of liberal ideology. The liberal war on poverty turned out to be a nightmare, a declaration of war on the black family. This is what racism looks like. This is what discrimination looks like. This is what 21st century slavery is. What's needed is a plurality of voices instead of the monolithic liberal dogma that now prevails in the black community. Blacks can vote for whoever they want. But when 93% of blacks vote lockstep for liberal politicians, that requires an in-depth look. What other demographic votes that way and higher every election cycle? None do. Abolitionist Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington, Washington and W.E.B. Dubois all agreed that black people had to strive for opportunity and grab it by the throat. No mention was ever made of relying on government. These three believed that anyone who didn't advance the idea of self-reliance was no friend of the black man in America. By the race-hustling crowd definition, Douglas, Washington, and Dubois would be the original black conservative sellouts in Uncle Tom's. The liberal wing of the Democratic Party is scared to death of the fact that politics in the black community might change if a black conservative voice, a voice like mine, starts to resonate with people. Being a conservative is about a set of principles that were instilled in me by my mom and dad from a very early age. They raised their kids to believe in God, recite the Pledge of Allegiance, Embrace education, accept responsibility for our actions, 
and most importantly, to think for ourselves. My parents knew that raising me with lots of love and guidance and providing a foundation of values like hard work, self-confidence, and knowing how to get up when you fall down would contribute to how far, far I could go in life. It was instilled in me that the key to succeeding in an unfair world was for black people to be doubly prepared to compete in this unfair world. My parents would not stand for us children blaming white people for our problems or believing that the color of our skin would prevent us from succeeding in America. Mr. and Mrs. Clark didn't see these values as conservative per se or the sole province of any political ideology. In fact, they traditionally voted for Democrats. But my parents were Jack Kennedy Democrats, Bobby Kennedy Democrats, Truman Democrats. They are not Nancy Pelosi or Harry Reid Democrats. In fact, the Democratic Party they grew up knowing opposed ending slavery and the Voting Rights Act. My great-grandmother always voted Republican. She told us that. Let me make this perfectly clear. Conservative blacks don't leave the Democratic Party. The party excommunicates them. We're going to pick this back up on the other side of this. Stay right where you are. The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at theblaze.com slash radio. I tell you that because I want to be honest. Because if you like Huckabee, you're not wrong. You just have a different view of Mike Huckabee than I do. I don't think the country would implode if Mike Huckabee happened to be the president. I think we could work with that. I'd rather have a few other guys. I bring this up because I'm always caught now between wanting to just ignore and completely go after some of the nastiness surrounding the Trump discussion right now. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. We left off a little more than halfway through an op-ed piece that I authored. I titled it, The Bastardization of Black Conservatives by the American Left, How Black Conservatives Are Vilified, Ostracized by the American Left, Democrats, Using Black Surrogates to Come After Us, Treating Us Like We're Runaway Slaves That Have to Be Brought Back to the Plantation of Liberal dogma and punished I left that plantation a long time ago never to return they're going to have to kill me and I was uh, about a little more than halfway through you're getting an exclusive here by the way uh, I've not published this yet uh, matter of fact I don't, uh, I'll leave it up in the air as to what I'm going to do with it but you're hearing it first here as an exclusive it's one of the benefits you get of Joining me every Saturday, you get in, uh, bits of information you might not get from other entities. You don't get a lot of coverage on uh, the cable news, whatnot. But that's driven by what they want to talk about. It's barely driven by what I want to talk about. And my program here on the blaze.com slash radio network, I want to thank Glenn Beck and his group for giving me this opportunity because I get to talk about what I want to talk about instead of being uh, media-driven. 
So I was talking about how blacks don't leave the Democratic Party. The party excommunicates them, and I'll pick up where I left off. It's happening to me today. I refuse to be chased out. I will stay and fight. Feel free to fight with me. It is as much your fight as it is mine to help blacks escape and break free from the shackles of liberal ideology. My principles have not changed one bit. Liberal Democratic Party principles have. In fact, everything about them has changed. I had the courage to open my eyes and my mind, and when I did, I did not like what I saw. I saw underachievement rewarded. I saw a culture of failure nurtured. I saw a subculture of warped values accepted as a lifestyle, and I saw the disintegration of what post-Reconstruction blacks all the way up until the 1940s, had built with the hope that future generations would benefit. They would cry at what their blood, sweat, and tears have wrought. Liberals like to call themselves progressive. The only thing that they are progressing is black people's misery. Why do I continue to stay and fight? Because I refuse to silently stand by while too many black people, addicted to the intoxicating allure of handouts, unknowingly participate in their own disenfranchisement. As a black conservative, I demand to be seen as an individual. I do not derive my identity from participation in a group. I am a sovereign human being and want to be viewed as one. I demand autonomy from gatekeeping blacks and elitist liberals determined to keep as many blacks as possible tethered to the plantation of liberal politics. I'm capable of solving my own problems. I want to chart my own course on this journey through American life. I want to be free to decide on my own what to believe, who to marry, who to vote for, what to study in school, what kind of food to enjoy, how to dress, what neighborhood to live in, what kind of music to listen to, and who my heroes are. I reject the notion that prolonged contact with whites or embracing Western culture makes me less black. The notion of it is laughable. As a black conservative, I believe that I have the right to fully participate in the mainstream economic institutions that America provides and that I can compete with anybody without having the bar lowered for me. Lowering standards for admittance into the mainstream diminishes any accomplishments black earned and should be rejected by black America. America now provides all the opportunities that it owes me and I have stamped its debt for past wrongs paid in full. I believe that the idea of eternal victimhood is nothing more than extortion. Slave owners have been dead for centuries. Our system of justice is predicated on identifying those directly responsible for wrongdoing and punishing them, not their descendants 200 years later. America is not perfect, but even with all its warts and imperfection, it still offers me and every other black American who is willing to work hard, endure and overcome obstacles, the best chance of experiencing our full potential as human beings. Is everything in America fair? Of course not. Do racism and discrimination still exist in America? Sure they do, because it is part of the imperfection of the human condition. But in 2015, it is episodic. It is not rampant, nor is it institutional. The challenge is to work toward a better future without being fixated on the ugly scars of the past. This is a counterproductive and energy-wasting exercise that liberals want blacks to participate in. 21st century blacks 
need to call for and accept the truce for slavery so that we can focus on living and taking advantage of everything that America offers, like raising and educating our children, owning our own home, building wealth, and being free to pursue a life of our own choosing. I do this not to sell out, but because the God that I pray to every day asking for forgiveness insists that I in return forgive others. I've made my peace with America, and therefore I have decided to move on. And that's it. That's how I feel. That's what I believe. That's what I stand for. That's what I'll continue to fight for. And nobody is going to deter me. Nobody is going to distract me from being the way I am. I'm comfortable in my own skin. And I will continue to stand up to the American left, the Democrat Party, and anybody else who wants to engage me on this. This has to be done. And like I said, this is your fight too. Next, I want to talk about, I want to move, switch gears here and talk about a um, cop that was beat, unfortunately. It was pistol whip, a detective. And now we're learning as the investigation unfolds, there's somebody under arrest, by the way, thank God. We're learning that the detective says that he didn't shoot the attacker, the attacker because of headlines, all of this cop bashing, this anti-cop rhetoric. This is the day I feared. I've been talking about this since last December. That my biggest fear was that cops would begin to second-guess themselves. Increasing the risk that they might be seriously injured or killed. Because they don't want to go through what Darren Wilson went through. They don't want to go through what many other American law enforcement officers have had to endure because they use deadly force to defend themselves or somebody else. Well, we're at that day. It is here. I find it highly problematic. And I issued a tweet last week. By the way, you can follow me at, at Sheriff Clark on Twitter, C-L-A-R-K-E where I linked this story and I I said, I hold President Barack Obama directly accountable and or responsible for what happened here. And I meant it. And I'm not going to allow the left or anybody else engage me in this gotcha. Well, Well, Sheriff, he didn't beat the cop. When we come back, I'm going to get into why I hold President Barack Obama directly accountable for the beating of this police detective. David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. 
They stopped payment on all of They wrote the check, they gave them to the employees, and they stopped payment. But I do know that the Perry campaign has stopped paying staff. The staff is now volunteers. And when the announcement was made, they made uh, another announcement to them, which was the truly crushing one. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, The People's Sheriff. I'm going to pick up on why I hold President Barack Obama. And former Attorney General Eric Holder, directly accountable for this Birmingham police detective who was pistol-whipped with his own weapon and left, bleeding on the street, waiting for backup. And as I said, Previously, this is the day I feared where cops started to second-guess themselves. Look, I've been in this for 38 years. Actually, I'm in my 38th year. Urban policing. I've been on the street, been on the front lines. I still go out on the street and police. It's in my blood. I send men and women out every day to do the same thing. I know what makes cops tick. I know cop nature. And I say cop affectionately. You've heard me say that before. Consider myself a cop. I'm a career cop. First, foremost, and always. It's in my blood. You've heard me say if you cut me, I bleed blue. And I knew, and I testified as a matter of fact, before a uh, Senate committee, Police Community Relations it was back in May on the Hill, Senator Goodlatte's committee. And I made some of these comments in my remarks about this stuff is dangerous, this anti-cop sentiment. Not only is it dangerous for police, but it's dangerous for good law-abiding black people who have to live in these crime-infested neighborhoods, communities, who rely on the police to keep them safe. They need for police to be assertive, not to take a step back, not to second guess, not to be hesitant, but to be assertive and aggressive in keeping these communities safe. So here we now have a a, a Birmingham police detective. I'm reading here from a CNN story. I'll tell you what, I got to give CNN credit for recovering this because it has some ugly racial black overtones in it. This stuff needs to be printed and talked about and covered because this thing runs both ways. Racism runs both ways. There is such a thing as a black racist. Yet they don't capture our emotion in our discussion and and, and debate and dialogue, like a white racist does. To me, they're, they're the same. There is no difference. A racist is a racist. So here's from the CNN account. A Birmingham, Alabama police detective who was pistol whipped unconscious said Friday that he hesitated to use force because he didn't want to be accused 
of needlessly killing an unarmed man. Those are the headlines that they continue to write. Police shoot and kill unarmed black suspect. White police officer kills or shoots unarmed black man. Back to the story here. A lot of officers are being too cautious because of what's going on in the media, said the officer, who asked to remain anonymous for the safety of his family. I hesitated because I did not want to be in the media like I am right now. Details of last week's incident in the Birmingham enclave of of Roebuck remain sketchy, such as how did the suspect get the officer's weapon, on and on and on, but the six-year police veteran said he didn't shoot the man who attacked him during the stop because of the outcry surrounding a spate of police shootings nationally. We don't want to be in the media, he said. It's hard times for us right now. Who led the chorus? Who was the maestro that led the orchestra of anti-cop or anti-police sentiment Following the days in Ferguson, Missouri, into New York, into Baltimore, and other cities across the United States, President Barack Hussein Obama and Attorney General Eric Holder. They did this. This cop-hating anti-cop sentiment is as strong today as it's ever been with this black lies matter that's L-I-E-S that's who these people are black lies matter and Obama was cheering them on we have in the White House one of the most anti-cop presidents we've had in our history. Now ask me how I could say that. Well, let's walk through this. In 2014, President Obama nominated to be the Assistant Attorney General for the Justice Department's Civil Rights Division a cop-hating lawyer. His name was Debo Adegbele. This goon, this black racist, led the cause for a cop killer in the Philadelphia area, Abu Jamal. Abu Jamal was convicted of brutally killing a Philadelphia police officer. He confessed. He was convicted. He was sentenced to death. The, uh, because of a technicality, the, the death sentence was, uh, sent back to the courts and they worked something out where Abu Jamal, uh, agreed to life in prison without the possibility of parole in exchange for his death sentence. Abu Jamal had competent counsel at the time. Debo Adegbele moved into this case as a friend of the court. 
He wasn't representing Abu Jamal, so he can't use this. Well, you know, everybody's entitled to competent counsel, especially when we're talking about a, a capital punishment case. Jamal had counsel. So Adegbele sticks his nose into this and turned this into a case where he made a folk hero out of this cop killer. And Abu Jamal then went on to indict the entire criminal justice system as being racist, inherently racist. Reading from an article here, an op-ed piece by uh, Pat Toomey and, and, and Seth Williams. And it says here, Mr. Adegbley chose in 2009 to enter the circus created by Abu Jamal and inject his organization into the case. Under Mr. Adegbley's leadership and through rallies, protests, and a media campaign, the Legal Defense Fund actively fanned the racial firestorm. How can President Obama nominate to lead the Civil Rights Division of the United States Department of Justice a cop hater, a known racist, a cop hater? This was against every law enforcement fraternity in America who wrote the White House and and pleaded with the president, do not do this. This guy hates cops and he's a racist. That's how I can hold Barack Hussein Obama accountable for the beating of this Birmingham police detective. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Pat and Stew. She probably has sent an email that was not top secret. That much we know. We don't know it. No, yeah, I mean, yeah, you can't say right. that with any kind of certitude. No, but I, I expect that at the end of this investigation, we will learn she did send an email about coffee or yoga. Well, I, mean, I don't know if there was more than one, but probably one was not top secret. Look, if you attack her for that, I mean, it's just the wrong woman. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Sheriff. Close out that segment on that uh, Birmingham, Alabama police detective that was beaten unconscious by some black individuals, black thugs. I talked about uh, Debo Adegbele, who was nominated by President Obama to be to lead the Civil Rights Division of the uh, United States Department of Justice, a known cop hater, a race hustler, racist as far as I'm concerned. You know, the fascinating thing about that Debo Adegbele is before his nomination to lead the Civil Rights Division of USDOJ, President Obama nominated him to be a federal judge, and that one was shot down by the Senate. Actually, he withdrew his name. He withdrew his name from there because he was not going to be confirmed. So Obama brings him back, a known copy, brings him back, to lead the Civil Rights Division of the Department of, Department of Justice. Fortunately, the Senate shot down his nomination in a bipartisan way, by the way. He was soundly defeated. Um, good. But that's who Barack Obama is. Speaking of 
cop killers. Asada Shakur is still in Cuba. I noticed they raised the flag over the U.S. Embassy in Cuba. She's still there. If you recall in the 70s, shot and killed Warner Forrester, a New Jersey State trooper, violently, while he laid on the ground, injured, took his gun and shot him in the head, confessed, was convicted, broke out of prison. Actually, she didn't break her out. Somebody else broke her out. And fled to Cuba, and she's been living in exile in Cuba uh, since the 80s. And I have demanded that the United States Department of Justice, the United States Congress, the White House, lean on the State Department to get that convicted cop killer back here on U.S. soil to serve out her sentence. I'm not letting this go. Call your congressional delegation, your senators, your representatives, demand that they pressure John Kerry, put a full court press on, to get this cop killer back on U.S. soil to finish out her sentence. You know, during Police Memorial Week in Washington, D.C., and all across the country, there's a there's a, a phrase that we continually say, we will never forget. Well, here's a chance to prove it. Here is where we can put our money where our mouth is. That even though this happened in the 70s, I haven't forgot and i will never forget uh fox news was reporting on a story on this on twitter st louis police investigate officers comments about michael brown bonus here's in part what it says st louis police are investigating a social media post in which one of its officers talks about how he spent his annual michael brown bonus the guardian reports that officer todd bakula posted on his facebook page that he took his wife to a bed and breakfast using money he allegedly earned for staffing the protests in Ferguson last year. What do you mean, allegedly? Are you suggesting he stole it? The demonstrations were staged where the, here we go again, the unarmed Brown was shot and killed by a white officer last year. This is Fox News. Not saying that. Fox News reporting from this, uh, this Guardian uh, news site. Remember what I said? Unarmed black man, white cop shoots unarmed black man. Anyway, here's a quote from the Facebook page. I decided to spend my annual Michael Brown bonus on a nice relaxing bicycle trip up to Defiance. Bakula wrote on his personal Facebook page under the pseudonym TJ Takula. Quote, eating dinner now and staying at a bed and breakfast tonight. St. Louis County Sergeant Sean McGuire told the Associated Press that Bakula is a patrolman and the post would be investigated. McGuire said he understands that the post is controversial. Why is this post controversial? After what those officers endured during that, uh, that, that riot in Ferguson, Missouri, working round-the-clock shifts, taking on casualties, the city burned down. And his post saying, I'm enjoying my time off with my wife, that's controversial. You see, sometimes we're our own worst enemies in law enforcement. This might not be something that I would have written, but I'll tell you what, if this would have been one of my deputies, 
and it would have been brought to my attention. I said, so? He earned that money. He earned every bit of it. And he ought to be able to enjoy his leave, his time away. I hope he's able to recharge and come back and and, and get back into the fray when he returns to work. Investigation? Goes on to say here, Brown's August 9th, 2014 death spurred a national Black Lives Matter movement. The latest protests which followed the one-year anniversary were marred when gunfire erupted. Listen to this. When gunfire erupted at a peaceful protest, an 18-year-old Tyrone Harris Jr. was shot and wounded by officers after they say he fired in an unmarked police van. Notice that in contrast to Unarmed Brown was shot and killed by a white officer last year. This guy shot at an occupied police cruiser, this Tyrone Harris Jr. goon. Two officers were inside. They were pursuing him after he fired shots into a crowd of protesters. So they do what a cop is supposed to do to pursue the perpetrators, put themselves in harm's way. Don't forget this guy was armed. By the way, it was later learned the gun he had was stolen. So for all of these universal background check supporters, oh, we can reduce violence, gun violence with universe. The gun was stolen. And of course, his mom, by the way, he with the gun in his hand was captured on video. With a gun in his hand, and his mom said, I'm quoting her, he didn't own no gun. He's on video with a gun in his hand. Now, maybe she meant this. Well, he didn't own that gun. That's the the, the, the gang gun or the community gun that's passed around whenever somebody needs a gun. So, technically, he didn't own it. Maybe she meant that. But even in looking at that, she said, well, he didn't own no gun. So anyway, this guy shoots at two officers who weren't armed at the time. They were just pursuing him. Why didn't the headline say, black suspect shoots at unarmed cops? Because that doesn't spark the emotion when it's written the other way. He was shot at a protest. Cops shoot men at Ferguson protest. They were defending their own lives. That's what they were doing. So, you know, just more of the same. Continue a war on cops here. That's what this is. It continues, unfortunately. Uh, and I tell cops all across the country, keep your chins up. Keep your head up. We're going to get through this. Last time we saw something like this was during the 60s. It's nothing new. Cop haters trying to weaken the rule of law, and the best way to do it is to come at us. That's all we have time for this week, folks. Appreciate you tuning in. We'll talk to you next Saturday. God bless you. David Clark. The People's Sheriff. On the Blaze Radio Network.